0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue show. You could follow us
1: on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube, and we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy.
0: Welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. Happy to have you. Justin Spiro here. This is going to be a fun, quick, compact show by our standards, but I'm excited for it. There is a major, major thing going on up in East Lansing right now with the football program. They've debuted their sparkling, glitzy new facilities, and we all like that, and the lockers are cool, and the chairs are cool, and the neon is cool, and Colton Pouncy thinks the lights are cool. But really, I think by far the biggest story up there, and it's the most cliche training camp, college or NFL football story of all time, and we're there, it's the quarterback battle. And ostensibly, allegedly, supposedly, this is a three-man race. That is the uh, sort of statement that Mel Tucker made to the media. It was thought of after Peyton Thorne's departure as having moved from three to two. We're at three. So we'll start there. Let's look at the three contenders. To be the quarterback in East Lansing this year in what is a critical season. So we have Redshirt freshman Katon Hauser, the longest tenured member of the program among these guys, Noah Kim, a red shirt junior, and hotshot freshman Sam Levitt. So this is the question of questions, and you can have the discussion regarding uh, who's going to be the second safety in the rotation and all that stuff, but really it's the quarterback battle. That's where the intrigue lies, and that's where the I think the most important critical decision will be made. It's just the most important position, and we understand that. So let's check in with Mel Tucker. Ben, throw that up, see what he said about what he's looking for in this race in, Who's going to win this thing? So this is Mel Tucker. Quote, this is a three-man race. Our quarterback has to be our number one competitor. We have very talented guys vying for the job. We are going to play the best player, but we don't know who that is at this point. So that's Mel Tucker. And I'm here to tell you, and I, and I think you'll find every single person with any sort of access or semblance of access to this program saying the same thing. That whole they-don't-know-who-they're-going-with thing is 100% true. There is no gamesmanship. There's nothing there, really, at all, in terms of being coy or deliberately sort of murky about it. It is as open as Mel Tucker has indicated throughout this process. Like, for real, for real this time. Most, Most of the time, it's not. And we saw that famously in the example that I'm going to bring up as a bit of warning. Rewind back just over a decade. Mark D'Antonio has a very interesting quarterback situation coming off 2012. And we'll talk about that 2012 team in a moment. But this is Mark D'Antonio's quote that I'm going to read to you. So they have the struggles under Andrew Maxwell in 2012. Connor Cook famously comes off the bench and rescues them against TCU in the bowl game. And so they asked a couple months later, hey, Mark, you know, it was open QB battle, right? This is Mark D'Antonio ahead of the 2013 season. Quote, I will say this, Andrew Maxwell is still our number one quarterback. I think he's proven over the long haul that he's been in our program for four years. I think he understands what to do. He needs to do things better at certain times, but that's where I stand. End quote. It was the same kind of thing the year prior when there was a quarterback battle, and Maxwell was the presumptive guy to take the throne in the absence of Kirk Cousins, who had departed, uh, having graduated after the Georgia Bowl win. So Maxwell was thought to be the starter, but there was this ostensible quarterback battle. But those same types of quotes from Mark D'Antonio, where it's this deference to the guy that's been here and this deference to the guy who's paid his dues. And and I think this is going to be the best way to look at it. What price did Michigan State pay for a complete and total, I would argue, deference to seniority? And why that should be somewhat alarming if. Mel Tucker and the Michigan State staff completely defers to that, which they haven't indicated that they are. But for those that are out there saying, oh, go with the guy that's been here, I agree with what Mel Tucker's saying. Go with whoever's the best player in camp. So let's look at this. The 2012 Michigan State football team is, I mean, arguably one of the, in terms of sports in East Lansing, the, the ultimate sports tragedies in terms of like what could have been, what should have been, what might have been. So throw that schedule up. And the 2012 team, they go 6-6 and in the regular season. You know, they win the bowl game, and famously we mentioned that. Look at this schedule before you. (laughs) Of their six losses, five of them were really easily winnable. You have a one-point loss against Ohio State, a double overtime loss against Iowa, a two-point loss when Michigan had a kicker who shouldn't have been eligible made three field goals of the four, including the game winner. Two-point loss. Four-point loss against Nebraska, three-point loss against Northwestern. So you were, I mean, this close to 11-1. and one. And even the Notre Dame game, if you had a semblance of an offense, could have been a game. I mean, when you put three up, you're not doing anything. If you have even a C-minus offense that game, I'm not saying they would have won, but it would have been closer than that. But let's say they go 11-1 and one with a pulse offensively. Look at the split of the S&P Plus ratings for 2012 Michigan State football. Ben, put that up. This is 2012. This is fascinating to me, and I remembered it being bad. But this is really bad. It's the great imbalance of this program's history in modern times anyway. The defensive S&P Plus rating for Michigan State in 2012 was second best in the entire country. And in many seasons, their total – would have been good for number one, their score. It was an elite, elite defense. Offensively, 101st behind Kentucky, Temple, and North Texas. And we listed some of the favorites. <laughs> Michigan State's offense ranked worse than, and for those that don't know, to be Plus, it's all adjusted. So it's adjusted for competition, adjusted for situation, all that stuff. So it's, this is a fair objective look at this. This offense in 2012 was worse than 1 in 11 Kansas, 2 and 10 Army, four and eight Western Michigan, 4 and eight Texas State, among many, many others. You had the second best defense in the entire country, better than Alabama and LSU. And the 101st best offense, and the only reason that you were even that high offensively is because you had Le'Veon Bell, who that season ran for just shy of 1,800 yards. He was one of the best backs in the whole country was a moving on to NFL stardom right after this. So you had one of the worst offenses in the country with an absolute just star running back who performed like an absolute star. So what does that tell you? It's like having one of the worst offenses in the country with Kenneth Walker in terms of statistics. Their rushing totals almost the same. What does that tell you? The quarterback situation was an abomination in East Lansing in 2012. So much so that, even with the Kenneth Walker 10 years earlier situation, they could barely function. They were worse than 1-11 Kansas offensively. And you look back to that schedule where they lose all those games, 1 point, 2 point, 3 points, 4 points, double overtime, lose by 3. What if you had a semi-functional offense? And Mark Antonio, for all the wonderful, <laughs> wonderful things he did, almost completely doubled down on the mistake with that quote that I read to you, going into 2013, but this was the pivot. So, Ben, bring people back to the Buffalo Wild Wings ball, the turning point, some would say, in the program going from middling to borderline good to really rolling there for half a decade. This is Connor Cook coming in for the second time, his second drive of the game, the second time Maxwell had been benched, and D'Antonio was just going to roll with him from here. Down 13-0 late in the third quarter. Ben, let's roll that to get people up the snuff here.
1: We've got Connor Cook back in at quarterback for Michigan State. And they've got to start at their own 10-yard line. Third down, seven. For Cook. Set the throw. Maybe. Room. Now he's going to run with it. Slides. A first down out at the 24. Empty backfield for Cook. Scans the field. Fires across the middle. Crossing route. First down and more. Touchdown, Aaron Burbridge. From the 25, first down. There is a quick toss to Bell. And Le'Veon's got 12 on the first down. Against these two guys. Cook pumps down the middle, complete to his tight end. Across midfield to Deion Sims. Conroy to try to give Sparty the lead back on the way, And good.
0: Coming into this game tonight, Connor Cook, your quarterback, had five completions on the season. So what factored into your decision to let him take that last drive for your team? Well, we just, uh, we wanted him to play tonight. We just felt like we wanted to get a guy an opportunity to play. He was a redshirt freshman. And, uh, you know, he played well. And he kept playing well, so we decided to go with him. You know, and he gave us some scrambling ability a little bit. But Andrew, Andrew Max was
1: a great, great football player, great quarterback. But you got to go with the hot guy a little bit. He made some throws down the stretch.
0: You know, if you're going to make the Mark D'Antonio criticism on any level, it's always the loyalty to a fault. And we saw it with the assistants and we saw it with this Maxwell situation. So you see Connor Cook rescue Michigan State in that bowl game. And then the very next conversation about the quarterback situation on the record is Mark D'Antonio saying, which we read to you, oh yeah, Maxwell's still the guy. So here's the point and here's the takeaway. Be very careful with that deference to experience. I hope and I believe he means it. I hope that Mel Tucker means what he's saying in terms of the quarterback battle now. Because Michigan State in 2012, because they deferred to the guy who was next in line, whose turn it was, who had the seniority and the most duration in the program, because they did that, they blew a chance to be an incredible team where they went 6 and 6 losing 5 of the 6 games by a couple of points with an abomination of an offense and an even more deplorable passing attack. If you're that inept offensively with Le'Veon Bell, his junior year in the backfield, that's a bad sign for what was going on in that passing game. And there's a lot of analytics to back that up, but I don't think anybody needs them. So this does not mean that Noah Kim isn't the best quarterback. Noah Kim might be, but I'm seeing this argument out there that, Even if it's a a tie, tie goes to the more experienced guy or whatever. No ties. (laughs) Just pick pick the best guy. And the other consideration with this is the 2024 season is particularly critical, I would argue, because if Michigan State this year goes six and six, seven and five. Nobody's going to really burn down any buildings or, or go crazy. But if Michigan State is still kind of just dancing in the mud next year, in 2024, then you're really going to have problems. You can't have a five and seven year, a six and six year, and another five and seven, six and six, even a seven and five year. So all the more reason to sort of disregard, you know, just thinking for this year. I, I like if if it's an old young thing. If anything, the tie would go to the younger guy. I would think whether you think that's Hauser or. Um, you know, Levitt, so so, which I think Levitt's a long shot, a true freshman, but I'm going to take him at his word that he's at least Mel Tucker's word that he's at least giving him a fair shake. But don't make the mistake that Mark D'Antonio made because Mark D'Antonio lit 2012 on fire with that quarterback decision. And if you get one or two beers into a lot of guys that were on that team, they'll tell you that as raw as Connor Cook was as a redshirt freshman. They knew halfway through the year or at least thought that that change should have been made and that he added an element that Maxwell didn't have. And, you know, maybe I I understand I I probably would have started with what we knew Maxwell out of the gate. You know, so maybe you don't salvage the entire season, but that should have been like a nine and three team. You could have made that switch earlier. And so I, I caution people not to put too much, if any, stock into that experience thing. To me, I, like, I, the, that barely counts in terms of my opinion on Noah Kim versus Hauser versus Levitt versus anybody. So I don't, I, don't, I don't factor it in, and I don't think anybody should. I think it should just be the best player. Who's the best player right now? I, you know, I, I think Kim's got to add some size just looking at him. Um, you know, that's, that would be my big thing. I know I'm not the first one to mention that. Uh, I know Solari and uh, Chris Solari and Graham Couch were talking about on their podcast today, and I agreed with what they said. You know, they want to see kind of w- what he's tipping the scales at. I think that'll be big. Seems like the team really likes all these guys, the coaches and the players. All three of them are easy to root for. I just I don't put any stock in that ex- that experience thing really because nobody in the group has enough of it to where that should influence anything and it's been our guide our guiding north star to a fault in the past so that that's where I stand on that I, I don't I think Kim is the rightful favorite but I don't think it's much better than a coin flip right now Levitt is I mean, it's nothing he could do it's just he's a true freshman that's so hard. So I think he is a long, long shot, and he might be a hell of a player. I think he probably will be, but I think he's going he's gonna to have to wait. But between the other two, I think it's going to go down to the wire, and I'm fascinated to see where they go. I, I think it's really interesting to, to track and see where that lands. So we'll see. I, gun to your head, I think you got to take Kim right now if you're just betting on it, but it's really close, and you know, it's going to be a critical decision because if they get that wrong – You better have a quick hook. That's the other thing, and you don't want to do that because all the players I just played the clip today on my Twitter account are saying once we pick a guy, we got to stay by him. You don't want to be yanking him out. So this is big because you can't get this wrong because if this goes wrong, this thing is going to get bad fast, and I don't think that's going to happen. I actually am higher on this team than the vast majority of people. I I actually am in the optimistic camp because I I, I like both guys. I think you probably do pretty well with either one. But... uh... Be very careful with what criteria you put in there. Get the best player out there. I would have rather had the raw redshirt freshman Connor Cook than Andrew Maxwell. No disrespect, but, I mean, come on. We saw it. Connor Cook had no experience at all, barely played at like seven snaps or something, came in and he saved the bowl game, made a losing season, a winning season. So that's that. Let's transition to me getting absolutely steamrolled (laughs) by angry Detroit Lions fans on, on Twitter. And this is, I went in eyes open. As soon as I, I sent that clip out, I, I texted a couple of my buddies uh, who joke with me about this stuff and the rabid Lions fan base. And I told them, hey, like, yeah, you know, get ready. Here it comes. I'm going to get skewered for this one. So I, this was not, there's times where I'm surprised people are mad at me. This is not one of them. So <laughs> I, I discussed this with Natalie Sparback and my concerns with Jamison Williams. And I, that basically I'm effectively out on him. And I, I view any sort of positive contribution from him at this point as a bonus, as an unexpected, pleasant surprise. And yeah, I don't think the criticism was that harsh. I don't think it was even that personal to whatever extent. I mean, if you want to say that he's had some maturity issues or at least question marks, and concerns. If you consider that a personal attack, I consider it a recitation of a fact. But that's sort of the only thing I could see someone really taking issue with, but that didn't matter. So here's, here's the reaction. We posted a clip of me saying why I don't trust Jameson Williams because he's barely played football in five years. And there's some concerns and red flags that have popped up, and it's drip, drip, drip. So here's some of the compilation of the tweets here at me. People are very mad at me. You are one sad, whiny loser. Get a grip. I'm, I'm trying to get my grip. This, uh, Chris is actually nice. Chris is a good guy. Spiro, it's way too soon for this. The kid's entering his second year. The gambling stuff was more of an NFL policy issue than a him issue. And practice skirmishes happen all the time. Freeze on that, Ben, for a second. That, let me address this in real time. This whole it's way too soon thing drives me nuts with sports discussions generally. Because I'm not the GM, and even if I were, uh, yeah, I, I'm not advocating, and I never said I would release Jameson Williams. Let's, let's eat the money, get him out of here. He's so detrimental. I, I never said that, and in fact, I really clearly laid it out. So this whole it's way too soon routine, what is the glory or even interest in having a conversation when everything's already been litigated? I, don't, I never understood that Like it's too early. I know it's I agree it's too early. I wouldn't release the guy either. It's 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 definitely too early to say definitively there's no way it works out. But it's not too soon for me to say, I don't like where this is going. I'm not counting on anything. To me, this is gonna be a write-off. And if he surprises me, great. So I, I feel like you could, with any sports opinion ever, unless it's completely post-mortem, like a game's already occurred or an MVP award has already been voted on and granted, whatever, you could say the whole it's too soon thing. Like whenever I don't understand, like to me, that's such a straw man argument. No, like I'm not, if I were to say I would release him, then the it's too soon thing makes sense because that's, that's like a, fina- you know, there's finality to that. That's like a hard out. Like I don't have the, the player anymore. So if I said I would release James Williams, then you can do the it's too, it's too soon thing. But why is it too soon to say, look, I don't like where this is going. I don't trust the situation and I don't believe it'll work out. That's like, to me, you know, anybody can go sit on the fence. I could just as easily say it's too soon for you not to be worried. <laughs> it's like, what do you, you know, like, you know, or it's way too late in the process for you to be pretending there's no problem at all. I mean, you could kind of spin that any way you want to. So I don't get that, but that was the most common thing. Oh, it's too soon. It's always too soon to, to say anything. Like If you want to be one of those people that talks about sports like after everything's done and just read the box score or something, that's fine, but wait, it's, it's boring. I'm telling you what I think is going to happen and where I think this is going. And I might be wrong. I don't know. But it's not too soon to talk about. So anyway, let's get to the next mean person really quick. I, I can't remember what. I, <laughs> okay, here's the other. One. Such clickbait. You have no clue how you will finish the season. Uh, another element of this, this constant... Clickbait thing is so dumb. And believe me, I, I am critical of clickbait and it's all over the place. I have promised my audience a million times that I will never clickbait anything ever. We create content that we think people might find interesting, uh, but clickbait does not mean, oh, you're making something somebody likes. That would mean everything ever made in, in art or media was quote clickbait. Clickbait is like where you're deliberately deceiving somebody. Or saying something that you don't mean to drive engagement. Neither of those are something I've ever done. I've never said, you won't believe what Mel Tucker said, click here. Like, even the Detroit News does that and the free press. Like, I don't, I've never done that ever, and I never will. So, I like the clickbait criticism is so lazy. It's just uh, like you, you disagree, oh, it's clickbait. Uh, so, let's move on to the next one. The clickbait one was a really common one. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. anybody who listens to this clown on anything sports related is an idiot. And it's always the season S Z N accounts that really are not a big fan of mine. And you know, it's funny. This guy was a dime a dozen character in the blowback with this whole thing where people have this argument in the lions fan base in particular, it's particularly prevalent where if you say anything against the lions ever, They just destroy you. It's a clown emoji. It's all the name calling, personal attack. They just absolutely, they tell you to shut the fuck up. They unload on you. If you say anything bad about the Lions and they say, not just that, that you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about, the appallingly overused cliche, you don't know ball, you're not a ball knower. It's like these people that have like six phrases and that's how they communicate. (laughs) But whenever you look up these people, especially in the Lions fan base. They were all calling me names for saying the Jeff Okuda pick was wrong. They were all calling me names for saying the Jeff Okuda pick wasn't working out. It was too soon. I don't know ball. It was, it was clockwork. I looked up seven of these people with the Cezanne stuff and the, you know, restore the roar and their names and whatever. They were all saying, back up the brinks for Kenny Galladay. Jeff Okuda was the right pick. It's too early to give up on Jeff Okuda. It's only a matter of time before Jeff Okuda becomes the next Deion Sanders. I mean, they're, they're always wrong. And they'll get 17 takes wrong in a row and yell at the, the cynic 17 times in a row. And on the 18th take that the cynic has, they're right back there. So I always laugh. I always find that amusing. Like, I, I am very aware of my wrong take so much so that it's literally in my Twitter handle because I like Darko Milicic and defended that pick to a fault. So I'm extremely aware of, like, where I've had kind of, oh, man, I'm on my fourth straight bad Pistons stake or whatever. I'm not going to go steamroll somebody for an opinion. Like, I, I've, I've been wrong left and right. I got I to gotta, you know, get a couple layups. I got to see one go through the hoop here. Before I have any strong opinion, so that was fun. What do you got? Like one left, Ben. Let's let's kind of blow through these. Okay. That was it, man. I was selective. We had like a hundred of those that I could have picked from. I I don't know what your take is on this, Ben, like the Jamison thing, and we can talk about that. But uh, you know, on or off air, but like these these Lions fans are so funny. It's it, multiple people were like, "Oh, I, I see you conveniently left out his seventy nine catch season at Bama." Like it's literally in the graphic it's red like it's said aloud it's just these lions fans are nuts and you can do an episode you know and granted that was based on one clip but we did an episode where i was you know i would say 80 positive percent and those that did watch the whole episode were you know dming me about why i'm not on board with the lions the very bizarre fan base so I'll, I'll just say the jameson thing i agree it's it's too soon to release them I never said that. <laughs> so I understand. obviously you're not going to release the guy. You can have a differing opinion. You all disagreed with me on Gallaudet. Y'all disagreed with me on whether Swift would still be here next year, this year. Now you all disagreed with me on a I mean, it's whatever, but you know, you can say what you want. I'm really, really going on a strong track record here with, the Detroit Tigers and the Detroit Lions. Like, I'm kind of like 72-3 and three probably in, in the last 75, 76 takes, somewhere in there. I mean, we're, we're doing pretty well here with reading the tea leaves. We were the first ones of any note that I know, the first ones in media that called the Matthew Stafford trade request. People said I was nuts then. You know, just pump the brakes a little bit. And I, I think the Jamison thing is fascinating, and it is just like my Dan Campbell take one where I'm hoping I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong on Jamison Williams. I, I just there's no precedent for it. The one time anybody didn't play this much in their college years and combined with their first years in the NFL, the very beginning of their NFL career, the guy flamed out. He had three, three or four ACL surgeries. So we've only been in this boat once, and that boat sank hard and fast. So maybe he's an all-time outlier, but who's confident ever? And an all-time outlier. I don't like betting on all-time outliers. If Jamison is successful, and I don't just mean a 72 catch, you know, seven touchdown season. Like, go look up Eric Ebron's numbers. Ebron had a couple good on paper years. And I already know that's coming. If Jameson like even shows anything, people are gonna view that as a win. Now he's gotta be Pro Bowl or like legitimate media is mad or befuddled that he didn't make the Pro Bowl. He's got to be either Pro Bowl or right on the line to where he's at the top of the snub list, or that was a bad pick. So him being on the roster and just not getting himself suspended or injured, that's not like a win. He's got to be a star for you guys to be right and for me to be wrong. And I am rooting against myself. Multiple people are, oh, this guy hates the Lions. He'd rather be right than have Jamison be great and the Lions win. No, no. I've had 20 years talking about this and being right and the Lions losing. I'm not happy. I'm not happy about it. Please, please be wrong. I don't think I am, and we'll see. But just like with Akuta, you guys, you guys weren't rushing to issue any apologies or mea culpa's then. I suspect if I'm right about Jameson Williams, I suspect it's going to be much of the same. And you'll have qualifiers or say whatever, clown or block me or whatever. But just know, I looked up uh, a lot of these Akuda takes and saw them and recognized a lot of these people's names. And it's a lot of the same people. Just try to have a little bit of measured objectivity like once. and think maybe the worst organization in the history of sports, at least in my lifetime, might be worthy of some scrutiny and skepticism. Maybe, but that's where I stand. On the last cynical point, Detroit Tigers. Um, look, I did a two and a half hour spaces with Tony Paul. People said I was soft about this stuff because I didn't like scream at him or scream at the Tigers or all this stuff. <laughs> Look, their trade deadline situation was a disaster. If you don't like Chris Castellani's attitude the last 48 hours, you can blame them and the Tigers. Poor Chris. I mean, Chris, someone's got to do like a a check on that guy, a wellness check on that guy. I feel bad. Poor Chris is like in the dumps about this situation. And I gotta say, if the Tigers are, you know, your your true love and wife, you know, he's not married yet and all that stuff, like I kind of don't blame him. And if my you know, career is not entirely hinged, but in part hinged on the Tigers' success, I don't blame them for that either. This trade deadline was a, a disaster. And I, I, can't, I can't understand the counter argument for defending what happened. And Tony and I, Tony Paul is awesome. I have as much respect for Tony Paul from the Detroit News as I do anybody in this town, both as a reporter as an honest purveyor of his opinion, like this notion that he's people are messaging me. Oh, never let that Homer on, on the air again. He crushed the tigers a hundred times on my show. So yeah, the one or two times he's actually defending something. He might be wrong, but it's not like, because he's a Homer. Tony Paul's willing to give it to the tigers. Believe me, If anybody is, that's why he's not the beat writer because they didn't want him because he was too harsh. So I will defend Tony to the grave, but I disagree with him on this. Not cuz I think he's a homer or being a homer or he's in the tank for Scott Harris. That would completely fly in the face of everything we know we've known about Tony Paul and his history here and how I know him as a guy. So I but I do disagree with him. I think he's wrong. Tony's take on this whole thing was Scott Harris blowing this trade deadline Eh, not a big deal. We don't know all the facts. And, you know, it's, it's kind of this, you know, we'll see. It's too early to come to any harsh conclusions. Da, 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 da. I agreed with Tony that these people that are all fire him. Now, that's, that's insane. That's insane. So I'm with him there. But I don't get this whole, it's not just Tony. There's a lot of people out there that are doing this whole routine with Scott Harris where, oh, we don't know all the facts. I know enough of the facts to know that it's, it's bad. I know the fact is Eduardo Rodriguez is still here, and he shouldn't be. So whether it was an usher's fault or the GM's fault or e fault or, or anybody down there's fault, I don't care if an alien came down and, and abducted somebody. This is what happened, and this was bad. For them to sit on Eduardo Rodriguez, this asset that I've been begging for, look it up, since May to be traded, is insane, even if you ignore the myriad evidence that the market was robust for guys like him, where he was, by some accounts, the best arm on the market in terms of performance. I mean, he's, I would still rather have Verlander Scherzer. I'm not even sure. I mean, his profile's not great right now. But he's been the best pitcher in, in baseball this year among guys that were on the market. That's just a fact, right? So I, I don't know what they're doing. And if he is still going to be here long-term, I would be absolutely floored if it's not an opt-out and they re-sign him, in which case they could have just signed him anyway. Trade him and bring him back. You know, the Yankees did it with the Chapman. Chapman. <laughs> it's like they got Gleyber Torres, hey, and then you know, Raldis go win your title with the Cubs and then come on back. So it's not like they could have done that. There's no upside to it. It's insane what they've done. And look, I, I always feel a warm blanket come over me. I feel like the nice warm embrace when a respected national writer comes out and shares these opinions. Because sometimes I feel like I'm in a, in, a, in a Looney Tunes cartoon with this organization. Like I feel like I'm, I'm being gaslit by them and their sycophantic fans. Thank God for Ken Rosenthal. Ken Rosenthal was the guy who came out last year and basically humiliated the Tigers in the firing Al He came out with this article in The Athletic talking about citing multiple rival executives saying like they almost feel bad for Al One of them effectively said he was too dumb to function and figure it out. I mean, it it was worded a little bit nicer. It was like he's not creative enough to come up with a plan or whatever, but he effectively said Alvy was too stupid to figure it out. (laughs) And shortly after Chris Illich said, all right, I gotta get out of here. Now, whether there's a correlation, that's, you know, Chris Castellani's theories, there's a correlation. I just think even Chris Illich figured out the obvious. But Ken Rosenthal back again to save the day and bring some sanity here and give Tigers fans with uh, more than three brain cells the reassurance that they need that they're not crazy. This was stupid. This doesn't make any sense. Why are we in this situation? This is absurd. Here's Ken Rosenthal's quote. Really, really interesting stuff. Great article in The Athletic. It was hard to even pare it down. This was a great piece by him. Quote, it's difficult to portion out blame for this fiasco. For the Tigers, the failure to trade Eduardo Rodriguez represented a catastrophic outcome. If Rodriguez opts out, the Tigers will lose him for nothing, not even draft pick compensation." rival executive said Scott Harris's asking prices were too high once the Dodgers trade for Rodriguez began to disintegrate Harris should have looked for the best deal possible the outcome could not have been worse he calls it in that section there in this article he calls this situation from the Tigers perspective a fiasco catastrophic the worst possible outcome. That is a skewering. And the thing that's interesting about that is, yes, it's very clear that that is Ken Rosenthal's opinion. And Ken Rosenthal is a respected, arguably the most respected baseball writer alive today. So that's interesting and compelling to sound, but you may be, oh, what's, what's the bow tie guy? know?" That article is littered with quotes from rival executives. Speaking, of course, anonymously, multiple, just like the Avila piece last year. What is the perception, the take around the league that Ken Rosenthal laid out there? For one, it was that Scott Harris was insane in the trade market with the trade requests, which is why we're all saying, I can't, you know, Tony Paul even said, What's Lang still doing here? It's just narrow. What are they doing here? Why are they still here? You saw those guys stay put. The Eduardo Rodriguez one, because there's no team control there remaining, is obviously the most absurd on a number of levels. So apparently there's an objective proof there that he was asking for too much because they didn't go and people wanted him. So that's the first component. Rival executives say, okay, this guy has no real gauge on the market at all is the takeaway. But secondly, the the takeaway from multiple league executives around the league, this guy's peers, are that this trade deadline was completely botched. That Scott Harris didn't just depart from the ideal or disappoint Tigers fans and those hoping to see them with a pulse anytime soon. It wasn't that The returns he got or his performance was underwhelming, which would be discouraging. It wasn't that. It was a fiasco. He authored a catastrophic worst possible outcome. That is rival executives in the league talking to Ken Rosenthal, the most respected baseball writer, arguably today. What does that tell you about Scott Harris? I'm the biggest Scott Harris supporter when he was hired. I was doing cartwheels. I'm not saying I'm bailing. I'm like James Williams. On Scott Harris, I'm still a Scott Harris guy. But man, we, this organization has made a habit of botching this time of year, botching the trade deadline, even when they were good. They, they made some good additions. It's a lot of what they didn't do. Famously, the Andrew Miller trade that wasn't not acquiring Andrew Miller, not addressing the bullpen multiple years when Papelbon was out there for three years when they needed one more arm, 2013, for example. So this team has made a habit of botching this thing, and we're here again. And I, there's, no, there's no argument for why this makes any sense at all. There's none, and, and Rosenthal laid it out. So you know, if you want to say... I'm not bothered at all. No, Cono Santos, you're wrong. Mama's right. All the rival executives, they don't know what they're talking about. Ken Rosendahl, he's a bozo. Roar team, roar. That's fine. I don't care. You can do whatever you want. But man, the first trade deadline, we're already getting shit on in the athletic? Rightfully so. Rival executives are rolling their eyes at our president and general manager. Again, our new one, they were just making fun of the old one. And he is the general manager. I mean, there's, there is no general manager, so I don't care what his title says in the program. This is the second year in a row where, with our new guy, they're laughing at us in the athletic. And they should be. Not a good sign. Doesn't mean this whole thing is a disaster, it's irreparable, uh, light it on fire, but not a good sign, not a good start. Not a good start. This was this guy's first dalliance, his first seat at the chess table, you know, sitting at the chessboard, playing a little poker, pick your cliche, pick your metaphor. This was his first rodeo. Uh, He fell off the horse. That was a disaster. So don't whitewash it. And, you know, you can make the argument, oh, they were only going to get a single-A guy who knows their prospects or long shots, whatever. <laughs> that's not a defense of this. That was malfeasance. That was malpractice. And anybody that's honest should wonder why our second GM in a row, our second big pivotal president decision-maker in a row, is getting clowned on by the national media and his peers that doesn't bother you, fine. I'm not thrilled with it. So that's it for today. Quick, easy show. We're going to announce next week, probably on Twitter tonight. I'm excited. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. Really, August is picking up. We were kind of in the the dog days a little bit, but everyone's back in camp for the Lions and Michigan State started today. I'm excited. This is a great time of year, almost. (laughs) We're not there yet, but we're heading into just the best time of year. And the investigation into my snub at the thy shadows event is still ongoing so i know the many many people out there that are curious about that hopefully we get a resolution there i know it's it's top of mind for many people out there so uh this was spear avenue show ben appreciate you we'll announce that show for next week uh here in a few minutes i'm I'm excited it's gonna get good around here real quick justin spiro spear avenue show we'll see you thanks